On Saturday, thousands of people descended on Carroll Creek Linear Park to celebrate Frederick Pride. The one-day festival held during Pride Month gives people a chance to celebrate who they are. But while Pride is a celebration, many issues still face the LGBTQ community here in Frederick and across the world. City editor Alan Etzler recently talked about gender fluid makeup for a Pride edition of 72 Hours. And so, Alan, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about some of the things that you learned while reporting on that topic. Yeah, for sure. That was, um, you know, that story was actually a huge learning experience for me as a, a cisgender, heterosexual, white male uh, historically, I've been the the one person not advertised for for makeup, um, and and so I it was it was interesting for me to, to learn about how how much of an increase we're seeing in, in men wearing makeup, um, but more importantly, to hear the stories from the the two people specifically who I, I talked to about their challenges uh, in in terms of being gay men. In particular, one being a gay man of color, which is even a more marginalized group, uh, and, and what they witnessed and what they saw. And um, uh, Justin Mayfield, one of the the men that I talked to, uh, opened up about his experiences in, in Frederick County and how he basically had one kind of solace in the county where he could go and not be punched in the face. You know, he talked about how he he grew up in Kemar and he had to learn to fight because he really didn't have a choice because they would fight just because of who he was and and his sexual preference, which doesn't seem fair. Right. Um, and his, his one place to go was brainstorm comics. And I thought it was a really, uh, touching piece of poetic justice that he now, uh, does makeup for the cast in CW's, uh, DC comics shows. So he's literally putting makeup on, uh, Batwoman, you know, uh, which is really cool. Um, and then with the, with, uh, Tony Jackson, I, I talked to him about the struggles that are still here. You know, he talked a lot about not having his family acceptance, but he's now living as his true self and he's happy with that. But there's still so many challenges for him, uh, to come, you know, to, to live in Frederick as a gay man. He's used to the stairs and all of that. I think, uh, a lot of gay people who are, who are out, uh, are used to the stairs. Um, but they still feel slighted. They still feel like they don't necessarily have a place to go. Um, and he, he talked specifically about about bars and how uh, you won't see a bar in downtown Frederick have a gay night or an LGBTQ night. Um, it's just always regular nights, and they, they don't specifically welcome in the LGBTQ community. Uh, they fly the flags for a month out of the year, which is great. But why don't they fly them year-round? Right. Like, why don't they tell people you're always welcome? Welcome here. Uh, and so it was really it, it was really enlightening to to hear those uh, those two men uh, speak eloquently and uh, truthfully and openly about why they feel like they've been slighted. And, and they make, you know, obviously great arguments. And now you grew up in the county. So when you were growing up and going to school, did you feel like it was a safe place for people to express their sexuality? Yeah, so I went to Walkersville High School, which is the same high school uh, Justin Mayfield went to. My whole family went there. I never felt unsafe. I'm a cisgender, hetero, white male, right? I had no reason to ever feel unsafe. Uh, and I never sat back and took the time to notice that anybody else might not feel safe. Um, and that I kind of look back on it and it's like, wow, you know, how much did you miss, right? Because I'm sure it was happening. I'm sure, you know, there's bullying everywhere you know uh so I'm, I'm sure it was there i do remember it was kind of i can't remember if it was my freshman or sophomore year it was the first time i'd heard of the gay straight alliance uh which was a group that they formed um that was for lgbtq people to to kind of go after school and and feel safe and be in a community and i remember those kids and and they were great and they were super weird and they were themselves and that was awesome you know i celebrate weirdness whatever um but uh, you you didn't hear much if you didn't really sit back and pay attention. And the only people I think at the time, you know, and this is just honest. It's not this isn't right. But the only people who were paying attention at the time were the people who were living it. All right. And so, as Alan mentioned, uh, he's not part of the community, and I'm not part of the community. So we asked Chris Fair, who's the president of the Frederick Center, um, to come in and to talk us talk to us a little bit about 
pride, but also the issues that are facing the LGBT community here in Frederick County, some of the issues that have been historically affecting them, but also some of the strives we still need to make. Uh, my name is Chris Fair. I'm the board chair of the Frederick Center. Uh, we are Frederick's uh, resource education and advocacy center and for the LGBTQ community. And then uh, we work with allies as well. Uh, my role for Frederick Pride is that the Frederick Center is the organization that puts on Frederick Pride every year. We have a separate committee, actually, that works on this project. And so we have a wonderful chairperson this year. Her name is Nicole Beller, uh, as well as a co-chair, uh, Jessica Batten, and a whole team of 30 or so people. And I just get to show up to all the media events and <laughs> talk about it all the time. That's basically what I do. All right. <laughs> awesome. So can you tell us a little bit just about how Pride has grown in Frederick County over the past couple of years? Yeah, it's a really interesting story, uh, especially with Pride celebrating 50 years for the Stonewall anniversary. Um, it's been kind of fun because we've been going around kind of sharing the story of how Pride started in Frederick County. Um, the, the, the organization was started, the Frederick Center was started by a bullied student out of Urbana High School named Austin Beach, who was bullied ruthlessly at Urbana, and he went off uh, to start a safe space for LGBTQ youth to gather. And he created our youth group. And then the very next thing he created was this idea of a pride. But we wanted to make sure that the organization wasn't um, targeted by individuals who seek to do LGBTQ people harm. So we called the organization the Frederick Center, a very nice, innocuous name, right? And then uh, we called our first pride, actually, Picnic in the Park. It wasn't even called Frederick Pride. And it was at Ballinger Creek Dog Park on Ballinger Creek Pike. And it was uh, right down the street, if I'm correct. Yep. And it was 300 folks that gathered in a park, and it was a nice time. It was BYOB. It was very, <laughs> there were little permits. It's amazing how much more complicated the permitting <laughs> process becomes the, for the bigger the crowd, the crowd size becomes. But uh, the, the event was really low-key, and it was, it was great. It was an impassionate group of people. Um, the following year, we had a big debate. I was the chair of the, the director of the Frederick Festival of the Arts at the time, so I was a big advocate for moving it to Carroll Creek Linear Park, thinking that this would help to kind of bring LGBTQ culture and awareness to Frederick City. But a lot of people on the other side of that argument felt very passionately that uh, if we put it at Carroll Creek Linear Park, we could potentially harm LGBTQ people because it can essentially out people, right? If you're saw, if you're seen there, and especially for students at TJ and at, at, at Frederick High, like that could be dangerous. And so it was a good argument and it was a, it was a healthy debate between folks. And we ended up actually losing that year in 2013. And we moved it to, from Ballinger Creek Park to Utica Park, right outside of Thermont, which I, yeah, set all those things aside. <laughs> we put it outside of Thermont. And we had a good time, though. And a thousand people showed up. It was crazy. Like, w a bunch of people showed up. It was wildly popular. It was still called Picnic in the Park. Um, and everybody had a good time. But we realized there really is a mass of people, I won't say yearning, but, like, really, really excited about the idea of there being some kind of LGBTQ cultural awareness and, and celebration in Frederick. And so that led us into year three, where we really fought hard to put it at Carroll Creek Linear Park, and they agreed. I mean, the board came together and said, sure, we're going to do it, and we're going to make sure security's in place, and we're going to make sure that we have appropriate levels of, of, of check-ins and, and volunteers and everything else. And, and it worked. It was unbelievable. 3,000 people showed up in 2014. We changed the name from Picnic in the Park to Frederick Pride, and it officially became a a, a a institution, I think, in Frederick festivals that exist here. And now, last year, we saw well over 8,000 people show up. It was a crazy party and, you know, lots of national acts and performances. And it's crazy to think back about how far it's come. And, you know, I was reflecting this morning as I was looking at the news post, uh, the front page of the news post and the, the 72 hour, like, I took a picture of it. It's it's like a rainbow exploded <laughs> on the front pages of the news post. And that was so cool because I was just thinking to myself, my God, you know, growing up in this area, like I just never thought I, that would be a thing that I would see. And it just it warms your heart and it just makes you go. This is such a cool community and it's becoming cooler by the day. We're, we're getting close to that 10,000 mark. I don't know if we'll break it on Saturday, but we're getting close. 
is the growth in your eyes more attributable to general acceptance among society, more acceptance of the LGBTQ community, or is it of the LGBT community feeling like they need to get out there and they need to be out in the community, whereas maybe eight years ago they felt scared of kind of being out in public and saying, this is who I am. Yeah. I think that one day a scientist who's much, much smarter than I am will look at the critical mass number and say to themselves, there is a point where because of uh, because of icons and people that we see in the public and see in the media and see on the news that were that were brazen enough, I will say, you know, strong enough to stand up and say, I'm gay, I'm trans, I'm queer, and create that image that, oh my God, there are healthy LGBTQ people living out there. People became emboldened to come out, and eventually we hit that critical mass. And I am fascinated to learn whether or not that happened somewhere between 2010 and 2014, like where, where society as a whole hit a critical mass. and. Once a person comes out to a family member or, or a group of family members, it truly impacts that family in a way that is that no other issue does. And so what we're seeing, what we saw was that basically, a lot of youth were strong and they came out, and their their family came to understand LGBT issues better because of it. Um, and so you see, I think one of the reasons you see the growth is happening is because nationally you see people feeling more empowered, more emboldened to come out. I think a recent Frederick County um, study of uh, people's sexual orientation came out that uh, tw- up to 20% identify on the LGBTQ spectrum somewhere. And for nationally, I think it's like 4.5%. So you see that it's being led from our youngest generations moving forward. And I think it's empowering everybody to feel confident because we talk to even our older LGBTQ community and they're like, well, if everybody else is out there, we're out there too. Like, we're not going to be quiet about it either. We've, we've, uh, we've been here all along. And so you see people coming out in droves and forces and you see a lot of excellent allies too coming out and saying, hey, I want to be very clear, like we, we're supportive and, and we want everybody to know that, that we support your community. And do you find that there's um, different levels of acceptance within the LGBTQ community? Um, whether you're like, do you find that more people may be willing to accept someone who now comes out as gay versus someone who comes out and says that I'm transgender? Yeah, that's uh, and statistically that pans out. Usually, um, I, I I always say things work in uh, waves, and you kind of see you could almost draw an exact line. I think where trans folks are at statistically where LG, lesbian, gay people were at, you know, about roughly about 15 years ago. And that speaks volumes where the trans issues are moving quickly and we're trying to make sure that we're at the forefront of that fight and making sure that we're helping to make it safe. The big thing that we're stressing is, uh, for example, that the HRC just released a a very interesting study that showed that uh, when a trans person comes out to their family, if they... um, the, of those that come out to their family, if they are rejected by their family, 63% of those are likely to attempt suicide during their teenage years. If they are affirmed by their family when they come out of those people, 5% will attempt suicide in their teenage years. So it literally saves people's lives when our families uh, affirm who their children are. Um, it is a complicated and long conversation, and so the Frederick Center has tried to do its part in helping in that dialogue by creating Trans Family, which is a program that meets every other week, and it provides a space for parents of trans and gender expansive youth to meet and talk to each other in a facilitated way, utilizing an, uh, an LCSW here in Frederick. You mentioned earlier that this is the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of, I, I don't think you're 50. You don't look it for sure. Um, but just noting the history, why is it important, uh, to look back on how far we've come in the last 50 years, how far there's left to go, but look at specifically what happened 50 years ago in Stonewall this yeah. weekend. Yeah. I think that, a, well, a lot of people want to look at Stonewall as, you know, one, the, the big thing that I understand in our cultural history is that we've really struggled to tell the story behind Stonewall and how 
LGBTQ people came together to fight back against systemic oppression. Um, and that even within our own community, a lot of that story was whitewashed and it was told in a way that kind of removed very important elements like trans women of color and how they led in this conversation and this fight. Um, and so it's good for us as a community to go back and kind of correct the record, but also to help explain how we got to where we are. Um, additionally, in my head, I, I think that it's important for us to recognize how the, the social movement that many of our uh, of the folks in our community have grown up in and had to grow up in um, in order to understand how some people get to certain places in advocacy and they feel differently because I know that everybody wants everything now and I'm there's nobody that wants everything now more than me like I'm jumping all over the place trying to tackle healthcare and education and homelessness and like we really do want it all now um, but the problem is is the movement is you know constantly fluctuating and shifting and the grounds are constantly moving and we're trying to always address those those issues as they come and and try to get everybody on the same page as far as like okay here's how the movement's moving forward similar to what they did at Stonewall they they there was a coordinated effort to push back against the police forces and everybody coordinated on that one and not to kind of put a damper on some of the movement that's happened since Stonewall, but yeah. um, the pole shooting um, happened not that uh, a couple, I think, five years ago in June. 2017. 2017. 2016. 2016. So three years, sorry. Yeah. Three years, but the anniversary just came up with that. Mm-hmm. You had two trans women just die in Maryland um, mm-hmm. or murdered in Maryland. Um, you have a vice president who is very anti-gay. Um, so, you know, in terms of the challenges, why is it so important now with all the things that are happening that we continue to talk about these issues and continue to hold a pride festival? Um, so after the Pulse shooting, the, we, the, the, we, the Frederick Center, we put together a uh, vigil that was really amazing. And a thousand people showed up in downtown Frederick at the steps of ERUCC and just kind of mourned together. And it was an incredibly emotional, incredibly deep experience for, I think, anybody that was involved. I hope that everybody felt as emotionally impacted as as I did. Um, We look at, every year we do do Transgender Day of Remembrance here in Frederick, and we list the 350 to 400 names of trans individuals that are killed across the world every year just for being who they are. And it continues to, I mean, really rock your your core, your soul. Like, you know, you feel internally like, you know, what what are we going to do to fix this? Like, people are literally dying. And um, it's it can be rather like a moment, uh, like a like a weird moment in, internally for you when you're when you're thinking through those 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 issues. Um, the 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 only thing that keeps us going is remembering that we have to we can't stop fighting we can't we can't allow there's two things we can't allow we can't allow for the opposition on these issues to win we cannot allow for that to take over the mike pences of this world the the people who believe that that lgbtq people don't have a right to exist and don't have the right to their bodies and their autonomy and their um, their, their person. Um, and then the other is you can't allow all of it to consume you to the point that you are so consumed by anger and frustration and fear and terror that you shut down because that's what everybody wants us to do. They want us to shut down. They want things like Frederick Pride and other prides across the country to shut down and go away and for everybody just to be quiet and be, you know, subservient to, you know, the power structures that be. And that's not, we know that we can't do that. We can't afford to do that. We have to keep fighting and we have to keep uh, coming up with new and more innovative ways to reach our community and for our community to reach the larger public. I, I talked to a former Frederick resident for our 72 hours uh, cover story this week. Um, and he, he grew up in Kimar. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned you, you grew up in Linganore. Yeah. Um, and 
his experiences weren't great here in Frederick during that time, as I'm sure you probably have some some stories as well. But he mentioned coming back, yeah, and seeing queer teens just hanging out on the street in Frederick. And saying that's something he would have never seen. He hung out in comic book stores to stay away from people so he didn't get punched in the face. Yep. And so, in some ways, he he was really excited to see that. But in another person I talked to who lives here said, but we're still not there. We're still, there's still no no place for gay people to, to really congregate, necessarily. Um, what can Frederick do, aside from celebrating the month of June? to make LGBTQ people feel seen, feel like they belong. Yeah, there's a, that story you hear repeated, including my own story, graduating from Linganore in 2002 with zero out students and a general, a, a true safety fear of the idea of coming out, like you, you, your, your livelihood will be on the line if you try to come out. Um, and then to where we are today, which still is not where we want to be. My, one of my favorite quotes of all time was from Melissa Harris Perry, who was a reporter for MSNBC. And she did an interview and she said, uh, her grandfather used to always say the, the struggle continues. And she said, as a child, she always just thought it was like a, a, a thing that, you know, grandparents say to you, the struggle continues. And she said, as she got older and as she got moved into civil rights action and working on specifically issues for people of color and for women of color, she said she began to really understand what that meant. It meant that uh, it doesn't just end one day, that the struggle will continue for marginalized populations to fight uh, forever. And what we do uh, while we're on this planet is up to us to affect change. Um, but one day I will be in the ground. One day I will no longer be fighting this fight. And I hope that the people that come after me or come after anybody in this community who does such incredible work continues that, that struggle. Um, to answer your question about the fact that we're not there yet, we're not. I mean, we will continue to fight to be there. Nobody in, I would argue that nobody in this country, no city in this country, no matter how diverse this is there yet, as far as truly protecting LGBTQ people. And so it's our job to go out and find better and more affirming ways of doing it. The Frederick Center currently puts on 175 programs a year uh, targeting uh, each individual section of our community trying to provide spaces that they feel safe inside of. Um, one of the projects that we are working on in the next year is to get a physical space so that the Frederick Center has an actual center where people can drop in and talk and share art and share, you know, stories and be connected with each other and have spaces to grieve with each other or to yell at each other or to, you know, disagree with each other. That is, that is, it's well known that that is one of the key problems that we have. It's the next phase. I think that a lot of younger LGBTQ folks coming up, they're, they're not willing to accept the status quo at all. I was told at a table the other day when I didn't do something, they, they, the, the person just looked at me and they go, they go, no, I don't need your excuses. You just didn't do it. And I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> oh my, okay. And I was like, but they were right. And you know what? They challenged me to be better. And that's a good thing. I, I like to be challenged because I do believe we can rise to the occasion. And there's always, we can always be better. We can always be doing more. Why do you think, it, so in that, in reporting that story, I, I learned that Hagerstown or the Boonesboro area, which I wouldn't consider more progressive than Frederick whatsoever, yeah. has like two kind of what are considered to be gay bars and places yeah. that, that folks can hang out. Why doesn't Frederick have one of those? Yeah, so it did for mm -hmm. years and years, a place called Talons. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of the, uh, a, 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 a lot of us in the community, we, 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 we date ourselves by knowing that Talons was around back in the day. Um, it's a good question. Um, one of the, I think that when you talk about bars and specifically um, LGBT bars or bars that LGBTQ community hangs out at, I I'd usually try to avoid gay bars as the word, uh, just because it removes lesbians from That's the fair. conversation, bisexual people from the conversation, and and trans people too. But the, um, the nationally and including in D.C., you're seeing and Baltimore, you're seeing massive numbers of closures of these kind of social gathering spaces. So one of the interesting conversations that's happening right now in it, within the community in a lot of the magazines and, you know, peer articles that are being written is 
what happens when that that space that LGBTQ people traveled within for decades, that was our place where we would congregate, what happens when that disappears? And so when the hippo closed in Baltimore, that was probably one of the more stunning moments for all of us. Like everybody kind of like, all of us have partied at the hippo. But the same thing can be said when Nation closed in DC when they had to build that other ballpark or whatever that they had to do. So they tore it down and Nation closed and I, my heart was broken. Like that was the place that I would party at. Like that's where I got my first real access to queer culture. And it blew my mind what I was what I saw. So it's hard is, is the short answer uh, because the marketplace isn't, supporting it right now and the question is um i've talked to a few friends of mine about like how do you rebuild that concept like a gathering space but it's not a club like how do you make it more of a more of a space where people can gather and there's different there's club nights and there's not club nights and there's you know like poetry nights and art nights and everything else that you could but there's also club nights because people do like the club night but I think that I personal opinion, and I have based this off of absolutely zero market research at all. So do not take this as the word. Um, is that like that's where I think somebody's going to create the right you know mechanism or unlock that code in order to figure out how to make that space? Because right now, what you're seeing nationally is people moving away from the bar scene. Uh, as a collective area to grow with. And so what does that new space look like? Who knows? And it also does speak to the fact that that really are culturally, I'll say LG people, lesbian and gay people, feel more acclimated into society. And that is the our job now is to go back and not forget our bisexual friends, our trans friends, and our queer friends, and our non-binary friends in that process. Because uh, we need to be pulling them, you know, ahead too. What we are at a time now when if you disagree with someone, mm-hmm. it's like you can't even have a conversation yeah. and people completely shut down and, and won't have anything to do. They'll dig their heels in the sand on any argument. Every hill is the one to die on. How do you make an event like Pride open for everyone and say maybe if somebody who hasn't uh, been exposed to the LGBTQ culture or maybe right now feels differently about what they should be able to do or what their right should be. And, and maybe you don't want them in that situation. Maybe you don't want them to come to Pride. I don't know. But how do you make it open or make people feel welcome if maybe they're not sure about it? Okay, best thing I could do is tell a story. That's, all, that's sure. what I do. I story tell. So when, I came, we do. When, I came out of my, when I came out to my family, my brother had some pretty, like, very arcane thoughts about me coming out. Like, yeah, I was going to get HIV, you know, that I was going to die. And, like, that's just what happens that, you know, you, you kind of you, you do this thing where you sleep around with a bunch of people and you end up getting HIV. And that's what gay men do. And I knew that wasn't true, and I didn't know how to explain it to him. So uh, shortly after I came out, I went to my first Pride, and that was Capital Pride. And I said to him, hey, you should come. It'll be fun. Like, And he's like, is there going to be – do people drink at these things? I was like, do people drink at Pride? <laughs> it is like the, – it's the second thing on the checklist. <laughs> get the bracelet, get a drink. <laughs> no. And so we are like, of course we're going we're gonna to drink. And he's like, all right, all right, I'm down. And so we go down, and this was circa 2005, I believe. And uh, we go down to Pride, and he has the most amazing time. And because within five minutes of walking up into one of the bars there, we were staying at the Jury's Hotel right on DuPont Circle. And we walked into the bar, and this guy comes running up to him, and he goes, he goes, you are the cutest boy at Pride. Can you take this necklace from me? And you saw my brother's face. He was just like, somebody called me cute. <laughs> oh, my God, I'm pretty. <laughs> and he was so excited to be called cute. And, like, it didn't matter that it was another guy calling him. It didn't matter. And so we go through this weekend, like, and everybody's partying and having a good time. And it's hysterical watching him kind of move, maneuver and have these conversations with people. He's an army jock. Like, it's just hysterical watching him do all this. And then he gets up on a bar Sunday night, gets up on a chair and shouts out to the bar on Sunday afternoon. He just goes, I want everybody to know that I love gay people. Like, and it was so like, 
it was so much fun to watch him kind of realize when you surround yourself with the community, like how amazing it feels and how it really changes your perspective suddenly like people these these folks are really cool and they're friendly and he probably met an army buddy down there and he probably bumped into a few people um who who do the same kind of work that he does on a day-to-day basis probably all of that blew his mind like just thinking through i don't want a space where this space is meant to be for lgbtq people so i don't want people going down going to pride who want to make it unsafe for Mm -hmm. LGBTQ people. But people who are genuinely curious or questioning or like just interested in society about learning more, I mean, this is really an opportunity to see the best that Frederick County has to offer, which is we offer a space where we welcome people with open arms and no judgments and lots of love and compassion and care and talk to people in a way that's that's human instead of yelling and screaming at each other and telling people who they should be or how they should talk to each other because that's not what Frederick Pride was founded on it's not what we are and it's not how it's not what the Frederick Center was founded on or what it how it operates so June's really great in terms of you know, like bringing acceptance to people and changing our profile pictures to have a rainbow flag over top of them. But how can people in Frederick and even the outside areas continue to make sure people feel accepted, you know, especially in maybe their United Methodist Church or um, in their high school or just anywhere else in Frederick, you know, outside of June when we're not necessarily always thinking about it because it's not a Pride Month? That is a huge question, right? So one of the questions that we wanted to answer this year, too. So we went to partner with the Downtown Frederick Partnership this year because every year we get a bunch of people that come to us afterwards and they say, God, I wish you could bottle that feeling that everybody has on this upcoming Saturday on June 22nd. Like, I wish you could bottle that and carry it throughout the year because everybody feels so good. Everybody feels so right to be themselves and so healthy. And it's just it's just a really great feeling. So one of the things that we wanted to do this year was we partnered with the Downtown Frederick Partnership and we underwrote all the costs of pride flag, rainbow flags and uh, trans flags. And we had businesses, they contacted all the businesses and we distributed all these flags to the businesses downtown. So we distributed like 200 flags, like massive quantity. And all the businesses put them up in downtown Frederick. So if you walk down Patrick Street or Market Street or Church Street, you'll see flags everywhere, which is so cool because it helps to add to that like feeling not just for a day, but for a month. But moving forward past that, you have organizations that already practice so many good qualities. Like they have big signs in front of their churches that say this is a welcoming congregation. Like welcoming means a lot to the LGBTQ community. It means that this is a space that we can come in and worship together uh, and not be judged for who we are. And um, other or- businesses, they do, they feature queer artists. You know, uh, Curious Iguana is one of my favorite examples. They all year round bring in queer book writers um, to promote their books, to talk about things that they're doing. And it helps to bring the community together and remind them, oh, this is really cool. Hood College brings in all the time working on bringing in uh, queer artists and, and queer speakers to have conversations. Um, there's so many things that people can do going into our education system. The GSAs is probably my best example, our uh, gender and sexuality alliances that we have at each of the high schools and now working on making sure that they're at each of the middle schools are all ways that we can continue to affirm and reaffirm LGBTQ existence in society. Anybody who doesn't believe that it doesn't exist needs to, you know, check themselves because it, I'm sorry, there's hundreds of millions of LGBTQ people in this world. They all exist. They're open. They're out about it. And uh, if you can't accept that, then, man, you got some problems. I want to talk about the welcoming and affirming. Yeah. Because the Frederick County Council uh, last week, just, just Tuesday. Tuesday. Yes. Sorry. This is a slow week. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like it's taken forever. It feels like months ago. Um, on Tuesday, passed a bill, uh, an anti-discrimination bill. Uh, and if you look at the bill, it looks like a small change. I think even our reporter was surprised that so many people came out to speak at the public <laughs> hearing about it. Um, but tell me, and, and so just for background, I guess that bill added, uh, uh, gender identity and sexual orientation into, uh, the county's original kind of anti-discrimination bill. Yep. Um, and, and so tell me why that change 
is important and what it means for the LGBTQ community. Yeah, and not for for everybody. This this change is not was not significant to everybody, and that's okay. It was significant to me not only because the Frederick Center was consulting on the bill, but also because for me, it growing up in Frederick County to know that there was never an anti-discrimination clause that included sexual orientation, gender identity, was really critical to me to see that change happen, uh, just from an emotional, mental standpoint, mental health standpoint. Um, So right now, the way, prior to this bill being passed, the way this whole process worked was, if you were discriminated against at your job or in housing, um, you would file, you would call, as most people do, they call the Human Relations Commission. Um, Now, if you're a person of color, the Human Relations Commission will then take, Frederick County's Human Relations Commission will take that case and investigate it and basically pass a ruling or, you know, make a decision and then attempt to mediate between the two people and organizations. Now, the problem was for the LGBTQ community is they could not use the Human Relations Commission because uh, Frederick County did not have sexual orientation, gender identity in their non-discrimination policy. So they would have to just simply say, here's the phone number to the Maryland Civil Rights um, Commission down in Baltimore and contact them and they'll take care of you. Well, there's a couple of things wrong with that in my eyes. One is you don't know what that person's going to do once they hung up the phone because God knows how much energy and how much anxiety it took for that person to make that first phone call. Now we're forcing them to make a second phone call. Then, depending on how complicated the case gets, the person would have to go potentially to Baltimore in order to make their case on this issue with uh, the Maryland State Civil Rights um, uh, Commission. And you also never got that feeling that oh, well, Frederick County supports me as a person. So this was the Frederick County Council saying unequivocally, we support LGBTQ people. Let's be very clear here. You will not discriminate against LGBTQ people in Frederick County. Um, There are plenty of things that need to be fixed after that fact, right? There's plenty of stuff. You know, what do you do for emergency housing? What do you do for uh, if somebody, uh, workplace discrimination, right? How do you find emergency uh, employment, right, for folks that are being discriminated against? Chances are, even if they win their case, they don't want to go back and work for the person that fired them for being gay or trans. But so there's lots of other stuff that has to be done. But this was an important first step in the county saying, hey, we're a partner in this, just so you know. We will not discriminate, and we'll and and we'll put that protection in place, and say very loud and very clear that we support LGBTQ people. And so, another thing that the county is doing, and a little bit of the state, um, is the health department is working with the Frederick Center to do a health uh, LGBTQ health task force. Yeah, equity uh, health equity task force. So. About, I, oh my God, it's, almost, it's going to be going on two years here soon. Uh, we did a health equality survey, a health equality index of, of medical professionals. And what we found was this was a self-selective survey, right? So nobody was forcing all the doctors to take it. But of the people that chose to take the test, we found, um, which I think numbered a little over 100 different medical professionals took the test. We found that most people felt very comfortable working with LGBTQ people, meaning like they just generally felt like, oh, yeah, I can talk to LGBTQ folks and say hi and talk about their medical records and things like that. But once you start to scratch the surface of that into how do you create an affirming practice, which is a little more complicated, um, you find that they lacked the confidence. And so you saw a lot of things missing that would help guide your medical experience. Uh, And and the first thing that we identified was uh, electronic medical records as being one of the key problems here because we don't actively or appropriately even ask uh, SOGI-related questions, SOGI being sexual orientation and gender identity. We don't appropriately ask those questions to start with. So uh, the Frederick County Health Department and Frederick Memorial Hospital and the Frederick Center got together and we said, how can we tackle health equity for LGBTQ people. Well, let's start with this EMR system. And I have had quite the education (laughs) just in the few months that we've been working on this. I am blown away by how complicated EMR systems are. I had no idea it was this complicated. I would have never guessed. But we're bringing in, uh, right now we're working on bringing in partners from all over the region. So, um, and we're proud to be headed. One of the people that are joining us on this fight is Delicate Karen Lewis-Young. And I cannot say enough that Delicate Lewis-Young is out there 
determined to put um, to really uh, not just talk the talk, but walk the walk as far as uh, her passion is healthcare, And she's been working on health care for this community for years. And she is passionate helping with LGBTQ health care. So she's coming to the table to make sure that she walks away with what legislatively they can do in order to help implement better protections for LGBTQ people in healthcare, as well as um, we have a number of organizations that we've reached out to, all of which have, for some odd reason, just out of my mind. And uh, we have a number of different healthcare organizations that we're, tr- that we're bringing into the process as well to be able to address it from as many angles as possible to try to update um, uh, uh, these SOGI forms or these, these medical records as much as possible for as many organizations as possible. Awesome. On a less serious note than yep. the last few questions. All right. All right. So here's a, a couple easy, fun ones for you. But what is the one thing Chris Fair most looks forward to at the Pride Festival? At the Pride Festival, I, ooh, I would say the first person that I see that puts on a Pride cape, like takes a flag and puts it on as a cape, that came out of the Pulse, the Pulse year. That mm-hmm. was like. In 2016, after the Pulse shooting, we did the vigil, and then we did Pride. It was literally a week later, and it was like – I didn't know if anybody – none of us knew if anybody was going to show up at all. And I'll just never forget, like, this little teenager came walking down the creek and, like, by themselves, like, nothing around. But they had um, either – it was either it, – it, it, it was a trans flag. They had a trans flag on, and they had it as a cape, and it just was kind of like – and I was like, wow, that's really cool. Like, who, why didn't anybody think of that so far? Why, why are they? And then before we know it, hundreds, hundreds of people are wearing capes, these flags as capes. And I thought, what a statement, like superhero statement. Like, we are powerful. We are, we are bigger than this one situation that happened to us. And so when I see that first person every year, I just always, I, I take a step back and I'm like, that's so cool. I'm glad you mentioned the capes and the flags because my favorite thing is the fashion. I think it's a it's a great way for people to express themselves, and, and it's it's really fun to see. What does Chris Fair wear to Pride? Yeah, you're in shirt and tie right now. I am. I, I um. So I actually get a nice break from my work clothes, which everybody knows me for all my my all black work clothes. But um, I am in, I'm actually in a, an outfit that I'm required to wear, which oh, is kind of okay. lame. Um, but for security reasons, we all any of us working on the committee at the high level committees, we have to be wearing a certain uh, pride special pride polo. Which, by the way, just for your listeners, so your listeners know, and you as well, if you join the pride committee. You get one of those fancy polos, so you get incentives. to wear yes incentives to join and and put out you know forty hours or fifty hours a week towards <laughs> a really great cause. It is a wonderful cause, um, but yeah, you're required to wear that clothes. Maybe clothes. maybe next year you get the cape as part of the uniform. I <laughs> I wish the, uh, maybe next year I'll be. I, I've been working very hard on backing away from Frederick Pride and, and allowing it to go through new voices. And we saw a huge turnover this year with, I think, even more than half the Pride Committee are brand new to the process. And I can't be more excited about seeing where they take it because they've already done stuff this year that I never thought of. And and you just whenever you hear new voices come into the room, you always find um, you, you always find like that incredible new thing for, for a festival like that. It is hour upon hour of amazing stuff happening. And so at 11 o'clock, we have our ecumenical service, which is actually at Grace United Church of Christ. And we have a, uh, a, an amazing gay pastor named J.J. Warren speaking. J.J. was the young man who got up at the United Methodist Conference this past spring and gave that impassioned plea that he wants to serve as an openly gay pastor in the United Methodist Church, and that if the United Methodist Church continues to block gay people from serving openly, he can't do that. And it was such an amazing speech that he gave, and he's going to be there leading the ecumenical service at 11 o'clock at Grace United Church of Christ. We have um, lots of local talent that are performing on. We have three stages of entertainment. Um, Our national acts that we have coming in include Tatiana, who is from RuPaul's Drag Race fame. Um, She's from season two, as well as from All Stars. She's amazing. She's going to be performing at the main stage at two and four o'clock, and then we're also doing a meet and greet with her. Um, Ryan Casada, who is a uh, trans performer, um, musician, author, speaker, uh, 
jack of all trades, amazing, amazing guy. He's going to be flying in um, from Los Angeles. Uh, he was listed on Billboard's top 11 trans and non-binary artists that you need to know for 2017. He's going to be performing. Um, we have a bunch of regional um, performers from Frederick County and Montgomery County that are coming up to perform as well. Uh, we have our keynote speaker is Ronnie Taylor, an, uh, the Frederick Center's vice chair. She is also an amazing trans woman of color who has is going to be talking very intimately about the fact that um, – essentially the role that trans women of color played in the Stonewall movement, which was very critical to the entire riot, the, the, the entire uprising, I won't say riot, but uprising, because that's what it was, and really speaks to, speaks to how we need to recenter those conversations on the tran- with the trans community uh, in light of, you know, the modern day issues that are facing trans folks that live in our communities. Um, so I'm really excited to see her speak. Um, In addition to that, we have proclamations from the county executive. We have free wristbands. Everybody can get a free Frederick Pride wristband. They get a free program that they get to take with them that lists all the amazing organizations that are on the creek. Um, And uh, there's a wonderful beer and wine tent. There's children's activities all day, including my personal favorite, which is um, uh, uh, (laughs) drag queen story time. It is so much fun. So they, they, you know, we have uh, Miss Gay Maryland. Chastity Vane is leading one of them. Um, and I, I, my brain is is fried at this point. I can't think of who the other performer is for the second. But they basically, in the children's area, read a story time. And they do a story time. It's so fun. Oh, my God. The kids absolutely freak out. They have such a great time with it. And so there's lots of different activities throughout the creek that you can participate in. I know there will be, like, face painting and balloon animals and all that kind of stuff. And there's plenty of food. Definitely check out the food vendors. They're amazing. We change them every year to try to play with the system a little bit to offer new varieties of options for people. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of everything for everybody. Awesome. All right. I think Tatiana was just in a Taylor Swift's new video as well. Tatiana was in Taylor Swift's new video. <laughs> I was um, like, we always get lo- we always get lucky like that. Like we always get somebody and they literally either become famous right at like huge right after or they do something massive right before and we're like, yes. <laughs> a good eye for talent it is (laughs) yeah all right perfect well we really appreciate you coming in and talking to us about all these issues and um all the good things that are happening um and that's everything we have i really appreciate your time thank you so much for allowing us to come in and share our story absolutely absolutely thank you thanks now as we mentioned 72 hours covered pride in their last edition features reporter kate masters is here to tell us more about what's going to go on in 72 hours this week Kate, can you tell us a little bit about your cover story? Yeah, I would be happy to. So I want to kind of paint a picture of words for you. And it's, you know, we're going to go up to Boonesboro in the lodge, which is a literal renovated log cabin smack dab in the middle of Route 40 that has been converted into a gay nightclub. And it's also where a burlesque troupe called Honeybee Burlesque does its practices. And this is Honeybee Burlesque Presents. The Royal Jelly Rumble! So if you can imagine just like a whole host of tattooed women and men in costumes parading. That was Lady Blady and Cinderella. And doing their performances on stage. I mean, there's stripping, there's theatrics, there's everything. And they're part of this burlesque movement that's really kind of become a national trend. Um, If you've been to any major cities, you'll notice it. Um, But uh, what a lot of people don't know is that Frederick actually has its own resident troupe. Um, Its members are kind of split between Frederick and Hagerstown. And so my story is all about honeybee burlesque, but it's also about um, how right now they are looking for a place to perform in Frederick, um, which based off current liquor and zoning ordinances is not really able to host burlesque shows in town. So you're telling me you had to go back to look at more uh, zoning and planning codes this week? Yeah, this fell into my new favorite reporting topic, which is like things that are not allowed in Frederick. And if you look at Frederick County liquor laws, they are very, very, very explicit about what is and what isn't allowed um, in alcohol establishments in terms of adult entertainment and what's allowed to be shown. And then Frederick City also has some zoning um, that is pretty prohibitive as well. And I was talking to Joe Adkins, who is... um, 
like director of zoning for the city of Frederick, and he was kind of saying that he didn't know quite if it was a chicken or an egg situation. You know, there aren't a whole lot of adult entertainment businesses in Frederick. He isn't sure whether that's because the ordinances are so restrictive or because there's just people who don't or there's just not a lot of people who have an interest in it. So in terms of the liquor laws and zoning laws, what is preventing Frederick from allowing a burlesque show? The big problem is mostly that you can't have adult entertainment in alcohol establishments. I mean, that's within the city of Frederick. Like if you're serving alcohol, it can't be adult entertainment. Um, And then in terms of the liquor board, you technically can have adult entertainment kind of but it has to be like really really muted um there's a rule where you can't be within six feet of the performers if there's any type of um entertainment going on um in an alcohol establishment which can be difficult because a lot of the bars in frederick are pretty small venues um so it's hard to avoid that that type of contact um and i would say that you know honeybee burlesque they do performances that aren't explicitly adult and you know don't feature the removal of all clothes Um, but I think there's also kind of a lack of understanding as well because people hear burlesque and they think like oh this is sexy this is titillating this is uh, stripping but really it's more performance art and it's really a a sense of freedom I think for the women and men who are doing it. So in and out as you just said so it's not like a strip club it's more of like maybe some stripping with some musical theater elements and a performance space. Yeah and if you read my article um, I, I go more into the history of burlesque and there's a member of the troupe who's kind of their resident historian um, and she was telling me a lot about its history but it was kind of always based on satire even going back to the early years I mean there were sort of comedic performances that often mixed in political satire or sort of like thumbing your nose at the man um, Um, And then that's incorporated in today's burlesque shows, too. So it's very expressive. And I wouldn't say, I mean, there is nudity involved. Like if you allow, you know, when it's allowed, there's stripping. But it's all within the context of like a greater expressiveness and really like comfort in the performer's own body, which is really the highlight of burlesque. And of course, everyone can read your story. But for these um, burlesque performers is this a day job or is it a hobby that they have on the side for almost everyone it's a hobby so they're just I mean it was crazy to learn about their schedules and learn you know how they're you know balancing a full-time job and often kids or school and then still coming to do these performances um you know month after month or week after week at the lodge um I mean they do performances every other month but then they rehearse more frequently than that and sort of how committed they are and dedicated to honing their craft Well, great. Well, of course, as always, everyone can read Kate's work in 72 hours, which comes out on Thursday, or you can read it online at fredericknewspost.com and go to the 72 hours section. Thank you so much. Thanks, Heather. Frederick Uncut is produced by me, Heather Mangilio. Me, Alan Etzler. And edited by Graham Cullen. We'll see you next week.